You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 12, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Holland Hayes, known as the digital detox and connection expert. She is called on frequently by CNN, CBS, NBC, Sirius Radio, and other major media outlets to discuss how to increase connection within ourselves while finding a technological balance. Holland is a dynamic speaker, corporate trainer, and the author of Consciously Connecting, a simple process to reconnect in a disconnected world. We're extremely pleased to welcome Holland Hayes to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, I'm Robert Plotkin, the host of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Today I'll be interviewing Holland Hayes, who is an expert on connecting in our personal and professional lives. In the interview, Holland suggests several different ways to disconnect in order to reconnect, so that we can strike a balance in our use of technology. I'd like to share an exercise with you from our Tap Into Mindfulness program for connecting more deeply with other people through technology. I call this one, One Message at a Time. Take out your smartphone and look for a messaging app that you use frequently. It might be email or text messaging or Facebook. Find that inbox, list of messages that's waiting for you, that's unread, and pick one. Open it up, and the key of this exercise is to read that one message from start to finish. If you can find a particularly long message, that would be useful. Read it from start to finish without doing anything else. If you find your mind wandering, your attention wandering to something else on the screen or thinking about a different app or what you're going to eat for lunch, see if you can pull your mind back to just read that one message from start to finish. You might find that you have to try a few times if this is not something you're used to doing. Read that message from start to finish. Take as much time as you need. You might want to pause the podcast. And when you're done, start a reply. But before you start typing, think about what you're going to say. So pause and take as much time as you need to really think through what you're going to say in response. And again, if you find your mind wandering, to something else, to what's coming next, what you're going to do next on your phone, or what you did yesterday. See if you can bring your attention back to focus just on what your response will be to the message. You may want to pause the podcast and come back when you're ready. And when you are, type the response and type the whole response from start to finish again without doing anything else. If you find your mind wandering, gently bring it back to writing that one response to that one message. Hit send, and then, and this might be the hardest part, put the phone to sleep and put it away. So now you have read one message without doing anything else, paused and stopped to think about your response without doing anything else. 
typed and sent your response without doing anything else, and put the phone to sleep without doing anything else. That's why I call this one message at a time. Ask yourself, how did that feel? Was it different than the way in which you normally message with your friends, your family, your coworkers? We'd love it if you'd post a comment about the one message at a time exercise. Post it right here on the podcast. Let us know what you think and about whether you found one message at a time helpful. Try using it in your everyday life when you're sending messages to your friends and to coworkers. We hope that you enjoyed today's tip for connecting more deeply with others using technology and that you'll enjoy the upcoming interview with Holland Hayes about consciously connecting. Hi, Holland, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me, Robert. It's great to have you. Uh, You describe yourself as a connection expert, and I think of the word connection as having a few different meanings, at least two in the context of technology. It can refer to connections between people and also connections over the internet between devices. And we know that sometimes those different kinds of connections can be in conflict with each other. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by connection and how you help people to be more connected in a positive and healthy way? Sure. That's a, it's a great question. It's a great place to start. How I view connection is very holistically. Um, we have become, through technology, extremely connected on one hand, and on the other hand, completely disconnected from so many uh, major areas of our life. And by that, I mean disconnected from our goals, our boundaries, our productivity, time management, creativity, family time, playtime, like we can go on and on. The list is huge. And so what I really do is aid others to look at their areas of disconnect and find that place of reconnecting. And a lot of it really stems from finding technological balance. Mm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about why the balance is so important? Because, I mean, I've been using computers for decades and what we've been sold is the promise or the idea that more and more technological connection, internet connections everywhere, always on, high speed, all the time, would mean that we would be more connected with each other. Why is that? Why has that not turned out to be the case? And then why do we need balance instead? So the, the more connection to technology, we, we want to look at that twofold. And, and let me just preface this by saying I love technology. <laughs> so, so very often people think that maybe I'm going to tell everyone to throw their computers out the window and don't, don't, you know, go to a, using a flip phone again. And we want to put it in perspective because more technological connection at the right moment, meaning you and I are able to connect right now through technology. And, you know, back in the day, you had to be live in studio and, you you know, it meant travel. So how serendipitous for us and the rest of the world who gets to enjoy uh, this wonderful podcast that you don't have to be a live studio audience or you don't have to travel to one another. So, so that's a plus. 
We also know that when we are, for example, stuck in an airport and we need to change flights, that we used to have to stand in lines for two, three or four hours. And now we can go on our phones and it's much more seamless to make that transition in the midst of traveling. So we love technology when it is in in many of these other instances where we become disconnected and there's a, a lack of balance is that we take technology everywhere in our lives. And by that, I mean, it shows up at the dinner table. And so we aren't having mindful conversations. It shows up in the bedroom. And now it's not two of us in bed. It's three or four of us based on how many devices we bring with. We are losing uh, precious and valuable time with our children. And, you know, we think about the next generations and what does this really mean? So, so it's great to be connected high speed to technology. And yet we have to really look at what, why are we using technology at this particular moment and how and why is it benefiting us? Yeah. And you, you, Say one of the things I, I really liked was when you learn to disconnect, the real connection can begin. And I know you're talking about balance and not fully disconnecting, uh, but can you talk a little bit about why, why disconnecting is either a, an important initial step or maybe a part of the overall process of finding the balance that you're talking about? Sure, sure. So, so there's a lot of work that I do as far as leading. Uh, teams in the corporate world as, as well as individuals who come to me and really seek what that, that digital disconnect and digital balance looks like. And when we are able to walk away from all the exterior noise, whatever that is, and for most of us these days, it is technology. It is that extra time that we're going on on Facebook. It's that extra time that we are maybe engaging with Twitter or we are just scrolling and trolling. You know, sometimes when we're bored or we don't know what else to do, we are losing that connection within ourselves where when you look back 20, 30 years ago, when we were, quote, bored or didn't know what to do or we were waiting for someone in a coffee shop, we were left to our own devices, right, mm -hmm. without, without a device. And we really took the opportunity maybe to get out a piece of paper and maybe write a little something that was a little seedling down in our soul. Maybe it's the beginning of a poem or a business idea or a book. Or maybe we chatted with someone at the next table. Or maybe we just allowed ourselves to have some downtime staring out a window watching the rainfall, looking at trees, you know, losing their leaves or, or, you know, budding out for spring. And we, we have become disconnected from those moments to really be with ourselves and really understand what it is to not be able to fill every second, every moment with something. And we immediately are reaching for our devices to plug in and reconnect to this alternative world, which isn't always supportive mm. of what it is that we need. 
Yeah, so you're saying that some of the things people are connecting to online may not really be connecting them to what's inside themselves or to people who are close or meaningful to them. Yes. Look look at social media, Robert. Look look at how many people when they've done research and studies have really said going on to social media makes them feel bad about their lives. It makes them feel bad about um, what they have not accomplished. Because as we know, social media really allows us to show only the good parts of our lives, only the fun. Um, it allows people to go into this place unknowingly where you get to compare and compete. Mm-hmm. And I can post any house I want in the world. I can, I can Google an amazing mansion and post that and say that I just bought that. But, uh, you, you know, you don't know that that's true. Most people, you don't, you don't know me. You don't know anything about my life. You have no idea if it's true. You, and yet people see things online and they immediately validate it. And they immediately start to say, I don't have that. What's wrong with me? How come she has a $24 million mansion and I can't even afford my house payment? I must be doing something wrong. I'm not smart enough. And so this is a downward spiral that happens instead of moving out of what can be the pluses of social media. And we should definitely talk about that. And and it can be this spiral of looking at your life and feeling that you're not um, living the best life and that you haven't uh, been given the best opportunities. And it's a it's a dark, deep place to, to go. Yeah, I wonder. I would like to pick up on that idea of what can be beneficial about social media and what suggestions you have for people about how to engage in social media that perhaps minimizes the the downside or the dark side and give could give them some real connection. Sure. Let's look at our our last round of of disasters, if you will. Look at what has happened down in Puerto Rico. Uh, Look at what happened in Houston and how many people were able to mark themselves safe, right? We have this, this fantastic social media tool on Facebook, which allows us to say, hey, I'm safe. So when there is, you know, um, when there has been also uh, shootings and things of that nature, which are, are a real dark side of, of our society and, and what's happening in the world. And the plus side of that is we have a place to go because not all of us can jump on a plane and go try to find our family members. Not all of us have the resources to do that. But social media allows someone to say, hey, I'm OK. Mm-hmm. Or it also allows us to rally. Um, you, you know, again, let's look at Puerto Rico. Let's look at, you know, a few years back with Haiti. It really allows people to say, we need 500 toothbrushes. We need toilet paper for these people. And it allows organizations and corporations and grassroots movements to be able to get together in their communities and create um, exactly what people need and move it, if you will, through the, the trail of social media, which is how it starts. So that's fantastic. That's amazing that we are able to, to do that and to be able to, to give back in that way. So that's a real plus. Uh, it's also a real plus when we have 
uh, lost touch, if you will, with with old school chums, with uh, you know second cousins, uh, maybe um, uh, an old boyfriend from 30 years ago, and you just happen to wonder what happened to him. You know, he was amazing. That's where social media is a real plus. That it really is about. That's where you are connecting with people and connecting with the needs of others and and doing um, good, right? Because we're we're social mammals and we we need to be social with each other. It's interesting, you know. You talked about the positives being related to being truly social and focused on others. It made me think about some of the examples you gave of the dark side. Not to oversimplify it seemed more focused on on oneself. Here's what I'm doing now. Here's what house I, I just bought. I think I remember when Twitter first started, it may not have been their official slogan, but the uh, idea of Twitter was supposed to be to say, here's what I'm doing now uh, mm-hmm. about me, about right. myself, and just a message that's totally inwardly focused. I don't know if that's an overly simple way of making the distinction, but uh, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, it's it's very well said, Robert. It's it's spot on. I I think we are, uh, you know, society as a whole. We need to look at ourselves and really question when we're posting something. Why are we posting something? Are we posting something to brag and let people know uh, what it is that we're doing that most people may never have the opportunity to do, or are we posting something? So that we get others to maybe have a little more introspection, maybe to think about things that they may not think about, which can move their goals forward, move their life forward, get them to think about things more, more positively. Why are you posting on social media? And so I would challenge everyone who's listening to us today to take a moment and inwardly reflect why is it that you are going to social media when you choose to engage? What, what is it that you are looking for as an outcome? And when you're posting something, again, why are you posting that? Are you posting it to come from a place of bragging? Or are you posting this because of, and then fill, you know, fill in the blank. And I think when we start to look at how we're using social media, it is a reflection of what's happening for us as well and how we're feeling with life. You know, when we need to feel better about ourselves is when very often it's like, look at me, I'm amazing, I'm incredible, because we need, right? Because we need to be, very often those are the folks who need to be built up as opposed to those that are saying, hey, there's this opportunity and maybe it's an opportunity for you to um, disconnect. I do uh, posts where, and I don't do it uh, religiously, so to speak. I, I do it when something hits me where I might be out doing something fun. And it's always about, hey, put down technology. There's a lot out there in the world. Are you reflecting in nature? Are you having that amazing walk? Are you just putting your devices away and strolling for the weekend and finding some amazing adventure. What does that look like for you? And so many folks then 
uh, email me and will say, you know, I did put my device away. I couldn't do it for a whole weekend or an entire day, but I put it away for a time block of three hours on Sunday. I had a Sunday sabbatical. And it was amazing to go out without my device and really connect and commune with nature or that bike ride or my children or just walking through the streets of some city and getting lost and not really paying attention to, you know, Snapchatting the moment or tweeting it or, you know, really just having that time with yourself, family or friends. That's really great advice that, uh, a challenge perhaps to people or a suggestion to pay attention to why they're using technology when they're using it, and maybe to also pay attention to how they feel after they've done it. I think we've all had that experience of going into something online with the expectation that it'll make us feel good and then finding that it doesn't. <laughs> yes. Finding that we start to think what's wrong with me. And and that's the that's the slippery slope of that uh, the rabbit hole. <laughs> yes, I wonder if we could uh, shift this a little bit to the business context, where I know you work a lot, uh, coaching, training, uh, doing uh, uh, productivity and leadership training in organizations. You know how how does this apply uh, within? an organization, let's say that is focused on making a profit that where people may have to use, uh, online tools, social media, email, text messages to get their job done. How, how can people apply this in that context? Well, most, uh, I, I think almost every, I don't know, maybe that's, that's a huge leap, but I, I don't know anyone in business who isn't using, technology and using social media. And it seems to be a, a, an additional layering, if you will, of business, which which we need to participate in these days. And um, we all get, as we know, very, very tired and we feel stressed very differently. And what I do with a lot of organizations and corporations is really getting in and we roll up our sleeves and we really look at being mindful to what is the most important um, thing, if you will, within your organization, it is people. And we have forgotten that. Many corporations have forgotten that in consistently looking at the bottom line and consistently looking at um, what it is to be number one or from number three to number two. And we have gotten in, in this place, in this, in this bubble of forgetting our humanity, not only as, as business owners and those in the C-suite. Um, we have forgotten overall that arching goal of when our people are happy, our people will go the distance for us. They will give and give and give. And, and so what we really look at in each corporation and organization has, uh, you, you know, different elements that may be forgotten in this piece of the puzzle. But what we do know is that millennials who are making up, right, a large part of the workforce and will continue to do so, we do know that millennials will take a job that pays less money if they feel they can be mentored. Mm -hmm. 
So that is a very direct correlation to what it is that we're talking about with our humanity. We have a group that is saying to us, a population that says, we like money. Yes, we need money. We all need money. But at the end of the day, we'll take less of that if we can get mentored by those in this corporation, the organization, who are going to help us with our our soft skills. Mm -hmm. So that's huge. And what I often find and what, what I see when I um, am asked to, to kind of come in and maybe do an assessment as to where the wheels are falling off the bus internally or come in and do um, some coaching or some team building is that we are forgetting that piece. And so again, we want to set up mentor and mentee programs within our organizations. It really helps our organizations with collaboration. It helps with creativity and it helps with communication. Mm. It's really fascinating. I haven't heard this before. It sounds like millennials are looking for human connection in the place where they work. Uh, I think it's part of the common wisdom that may be wrong, that millennials are somehow not as loyal to employers as previous generations. And I wonder if you're suggesting or you found that, you know, that may be an effect of how organizations treat them, not necessarily something inherent in millennials themselves. Yes. Look, we, we do know they're, they're not as loyal and, and I can share, I've had some of my own pain in the process in my business with, with millennials. They're, there is, uh, they're very, they are very quick to, um, if they find another opportunity, if something else works out, uh, the, the idea of a, of a two week notice is for, for many, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate, but again, these are opportunities. These are great opportunities that are teaching and sharing opportunities and opportunity to have open dialogue. We are living in times where, where, both sides are often very reactionary. And a lot of this, right, it comes from, we go back to, if, if someone doesn't text you within 30 seconds, very often you get a text that says, are you kidding? Where are you, Robert? Like, what's going on? <laughs> right? So we, we just very reactionary and we need to pull back and we need to have conversations which are open and honest. And again, these are great opportunities where we can all uh, take the moment to to teach a specific group, if you will, to say, hey, you know, moving forward, what you may want to consider, because this is considered good business etiquette. It does matter, you know, as you continue to build your resume, people call for references and how you leave a job says a lot about you. It says a lot about your business integrity. And you're going to want to be mindful of that and thoughtful. And I know that when I have had some of these conversations with millennials who, again, you don't know what you don't know, uh, didn't think about it in that way. And were then able to step back and say, oh, that's a really good point. I, I'm able to do this for you. I'm able to do this for this organization. You're right. That's the right thing to do. I, I didn't know it. No one's ever explained it to me or taught me. So, we have an obligation and an opportunity to make our workers who may be, you know, our teams now, they may not be our team tomorrow, but we want people to be at their best capacity 
wherever they're going to go because the world is a big place, right? And we don't we don't want the world messy. We want to help to keep things moving smoothly. I wonder what um, uh, challenges you found in putting this kind of mentorship into place within organizations. I can I can imagine there might be some hesitancy on both sides, let's say the employee and the organization side. I wonder what the challenges are and then what, if you can give any examples of positive outcomes you found when there is this kind of mentorship within an organization. The, the, the negative side is that an organization or a corporation often views this and, and as a huge time commitment. And so there's pushback because no one these days feels they have enough time, right? There are only 24 hours in a day. We can't wake up one day and say, this is the week that I need 28 hours in a day. Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. So because time is limited, we understand that. What I find very often, though, is that the management of time is something that a lot of people are not good at. And there very often when I coach with someone, we are able to identify the time wasters. We are then able to identify uh, places within a schedule, both daily and weekly, that there is more time. And then some of that time can be used for mentorship. Internally, what organizations find is when when we get through all the pushback and when we finally get to a point and a place of really being committed to mentor, we find that we have happier employees. We have employees who are more communicative in a positive way. And we also find that there is less attrition. Mm. And I believe the last report from SHRM, Society of Human Resource Management, uh, the cost of replacing an employee was $72,000. So when an organization really stops to look at what $72,000 means and what that's going to continue to cost that, you know, if we, if, so if we have four employees in a year and in most specifically in one large department, that is a huge drain on the budget, and it's a huge drain on just the, the psyche, right? We all start to feel disconnected and what's wrong with our department and what's wrong with us and what's wrong with our management and what's wrong with this company. And it takes us into a spiral that is, is not a great place to be. It's not a good mindset when you've got to come there every day. Yeah, I could see it being hard to to break out of that and that on the employer side, if a manager gets burned a few times feeling like they've mentored someone who doesn't stick around, they're going to be less uh, likely to be motivated to do that again. And if an employee comes in and feels like they don't get the mentorship they want, the, it will encourage them to bounce from job to job. So I wonder, yeah, if there's any way that you found to try to get over that kind of psychological and an emotional hurdle on both sides. You know, that's really contingent on 
what type of organization and how how open um, uh, they are to to change. You know, you have within an organization, you have, as you know, you, you know, you've got your C-suites and then you've got uh, department chairs or directors of departments and then you've got, you know, managers and then you've got supervisors and then you've got, you know, and it, it's this whole um, chain of command, if you will. And very often what is the most difficult for me is getting everyone on the same page because you're basically talking about not only changing the mindset and what is changing the mindset, it goes along with, we've then got to change the behavior, right? And so when we change the mindset, sometimes what happens is some groups are willing to look at, frame things a little differently and look at things a little differently. They're not willing to do the work. And then what we have to look at is if we've got someone in upper management who's not willing to do the work, not willing to uh, abide by um, what it is that we're we're laying out as the path, the the the, um, the roadmap, if you will, to get us towards greater success, which will be greater success for everyone. We all share in the success when a company does better. We know that we all share in that success, whether it is monetarily, whether it is from a, a place of arriving Monday morning at a job that you love and you have a great team and yeah, you have your moments when you agree to disagree, but everyone respects each other. They listen to each other. Communication is open. No idea is a bad idea. Um, that's an exciting place to come to work. And, and when you honor my well-being and I'm able to say, hey, I've got some things happening at home and that is respected and um, that's a great place to come to work. And we're finding that, again, this is what employees want. They want to feel as though they are heard and respected by their employers. And so once we get upper management or the C-suite or whatever group I'm, I'm dealing with, and working with, once we get them on board, if they're not willing to change some of the behavior, then we have, we have a real problem. And then we've got to look at, you know, some other, other solutions. And we've, we've had to do that in some organizations where, um, you know, we've discovered, and again, uh, through the business owners and those in the C-suite, where they didn't have the right people in place to be leaders. Um, not everyone is meant to be a leader because not everyone wants to be a leader. And so you've really got to be able to, again, do a really deep dive and look at who you have in your leadership positions and are these the best people? Mm -hmm. You know, it's really fascinating. And in one sense, it may seem like what we're talking about is a bit removed from technology and mindfulness, but I, I wonder um, how, how closely it is related in the sense that I think back to the old days, so to speak, when you would come into the same physical office every day with report to one boss and you'd have a up close, ongoing, in-person relationship, you know, with 
with a small team of people over time and how that could facilitate uh, the kind of closeness that this mentorship and connection to each other and the company uh, could could foster. And these days, many people are working multiple jobs or they're reporting to multiple people. They're working remotely. They might be traveling a lot, uh, distributed responsibilities. I wonder if you could talk about the challenges that that poses for developing this kind of close connection in a, in a mentorship or other relationship um, and whether there are any ways in which technology can help. Sure. One thing I, I talk about a lot, whether this is in your professional life or your personal life, and we know they they are side by side these days because it is rare to just go home at five o'clock or shut things down at five o'clock. Um, is I talk about a three-text, three-email rule. And I can share with you that many of the organizations and corporations who have been brave enough, and even people who I've spoken uh, at a conference, and it's been a conference that hasn't been a business conference, maybe it's a women's conference, who have begun to use this tip, they see that relationships, are transformed uh, for the better. So three texts, three emails. How often do we say to someone, and we'll come back more because we've been talking a lot on the professional and business side. Let's look at it from a personal perspective. How often do we have uh, those evenings where we say, hey, Robert, want to go to dinner? And Robert goes, great, what night? And I say, I text back Tuesday. And then Robert texts Tuesday's a bad night. I can do Wednesday or Thursday. And that, right? And this goes back. Do you want Italian? Do you want Mexican? Do you want a burger? Do, I have literally been sitting in a restaurant and I can tell you waiting for people who have texted me saying, just got off the train. I'm running late. I, I live in New York City. And I'll say, I'll text back. Great. See you soon. And then they'll say, is the restaurant crowded? And I'm thinking, we have a reservation. Who cares if it's crowded? And I'm like, sitting at table waiting. See you soon. And then the text is, how does the menu look? At, at which point I text back, please stop texting me. I'm not going to answer anymore. And then I always get, you know, the, the laughing emojis because <laughs> we, are, we can't even get out of a train. It seems like we're out of our vehicles. We're right away on these devices. So again, uh, I would say that Let's pick up the phone. If you want to let me know you're running late, if you want to start connecting with me before we're in the restaurant, let's start doing it more, more person to person than the texting, which doesn't feel so close and it doesn't feel so intimate uh, and can become a time waster and become slightly annoying. Uh, let's reach out and say, hey, Robert, thinking of going to dinner, like what does your next week look like? Instead of bouncing back and forth and you can say, I've only got Tuesday. And I say, oh, that's the one night I don't have. What does ne next week look like? Let's pick up phones because if you start to do this after the three emails or the three texts, you will find that not only is this more productive, you will also find that for your time management, it helps you in other areas where you see that things start to be a waste of your time wasters uh, in that they take too long to get to the result, if you will, you'll start to see that trail and you'll start to change your habits 
which are more positive. Does that kind of make sense? It does. I mean, there is certainly a mindfulness element to it, which is to pay attention to how these interactions actually go, uh, to notice them and not just engage in them automatically. And there is something that is counterintuitive about the texting being less productive, is which is that each individual text can feel like it's fast, uh, like it's a better use of time because it's so quick. Yeah. Uh, and and if you don't step back, like you've suggested, and look at the interaction as a whole, you might never see that actually the 50 texts spread over 20 minutes is much less efficient and actually slower than picking up the phone. I do think back, this seems like an old skill people used to have of knowing which kind of communication to use for different types of interactions. I mean, uh, a phone call versus in-person versus something people don't do anymore, write a letter, uh, or even email in the old days. I remember when email started, it was something more like writing a letter. Uh, And that skill of discerning between different let's call them modes of communication, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, seems to have fallen by the wayside. Yes, yes, we we are in our own way, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, that, so three, you said the three text or three email limit, and what you're suggesting to people is once you go past that, one or the other of you should stop it or pick up the phone or move to something else before you go down the rabbit hole. Yes, absolutely. Because as we know, we can go back and forth between Chinese, Italian, Mexican, you know, what, what type of food do you want? You, you can send 27 texts on that and you get to a point where you're like, I don't care. Just pick something, right? <laughs> we, we've, we've all been there. So it's much easier. I find I pick up the phone. It's the three texts, the three email rule. When it is the same conversation that you're you're having, it's the same thread and you don't seem to be getting anywhere. If you pick up the phone and spend a minute or two, you'll be done with it and it doesn't continue on. And 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 even continue on, you know, sometimes someone just drops off and then the next morning you see the text and you're like, oh yeah, what happened? <laughs> yeah, what happened? So again, you wrap it up, you finish it, and then your brain is able, you know, this is great for your brain too, because when we've got all those loose threads with our brains, that makes it very difficult to focus as well. Yeah, knowing that there's an unfinished conversation lingering out there that might pop back up and need to be resolved. Yes. <laughs> and do do I start it back up? Does Robert start? Who's going to do it? I don't know. I'll deal with it tomorrow. But it's still it's still in the loop. I mean, and I'm sure this is just as relevant uh, within business. Again, going back to the old days, people would schedule meetings to talk about certain topics. It happens now, but it's much more frequent for people to just message on the spur of the moment. And as you said, even in business, whether it's email or text or in Slack or some other platform, for many conversations to be ongoing almost all the time. Yes. What happens with that then is... Don't you all just get tired of the same conversation that's going back and forth and two more people were added and then we added two more people and then we added someone else and then someone dropped out and we're waiting for their response and this can go on and on and then you get to a point where you kind of don't care and so making decisions again in your professional or your personal life where you're just getting to the point of not caring is not the best way to be making a decision. Mm-hmm. I wonder uh, where 
you would fit the dreaded topic of business meetings into this. <laughs> if you have any suggestions for organizations in terms of when to hold meetings, when to do them face-to-face, -face, when to use technology, you know, how technology can be either beneficial for connecting through meetings or a hindrance. Well, it's always great to have meetings live all together. Uh, again, you mentioned about the traveling and those who work remotely. It does seem to be, though, there there can be a time where where the majority, at least 80 to 90 percent of people uh, on a team can be present and can have, you know, that that weekly or biweekly meeting. It is really important. It keeps the thread going uh, with a team, with the camaraderie. You have such a different interaction live and sitting in a room together in a circle where you're sharing ideas. It is a very different dynamic than when you are on Skype or when, you know, everyone is conferencing in because we know that most people, when they're honest, when, when you're having some sort of conference, you are doing something else. You're multitasking when you're sitting at your desk. If everyone's having a Skype call and we can't, we can't see you and we're just doing our, our, our meeting in that way, virtual, we know that, uh, people have admitted at, the majority are doing something else, which means you're not really paying attention, which means some of what you say, people are kind of going, wait a second, that doesn't, that didn't make any sense. Whereas when you're live, it's, it's a different interaction. Is there, what is the room for, let's say, uh, uh, online meetings or other forms of uh, digital interaction uh, for getting things done productively. I know we talked at the very beginning about striking a balance. Can you give an example, perhaps, of how to strike that balance between the benefits of meeting in person and the benefits, or in some cases, just the unavoidable need to communicate online with people within business? Well, look, if you ha if the only way is to communicate online, then certainly you don't want to say, let's not communicate because we're not live and we're going to wait. You always want to take that those those moments and those opportunities to connect with your team, to connect with your clients. I can share with you that uh, I worked with a CFO not too long ago, and they were discovering that within their organization, there were they were losing a fair amount of clients and they didn't understand because many of these clients had been long term. And as we started to really look at the corporation as a whole and what it was that they were doing, and again, this was a, a, the majority were working remotely. What we were finding is there were never conversations. And even if I am based in New York, and the majority of my clients are on the West Coast, what we started to realize, which was not a surprise to me, but it was a surprise to them, that picking up the phone and connecting with clients is exactly what they wanted. They wanted that check-in that, hey, we're here for you. We want to let you know that there's been a change or we're going about marketing your company in a different way or we're going to look at whatever it is, they really enjoyed getting that feedback person to person as opposed to through an email. So it was a big learning curve. And what we had to do is we really had to, once again, 
have coaching with each of the employees who were not really big on that because it's easy. We all know it's easy to hide behind emails, right? And sometimes when I say hide behind, it's not that you're trying to intentionally uh, do something destructive to a company. It's that we have gotten uh, more shy. Uh, we might feel intimidated by the phone now because we're not using it as much. And therefore, that's what I mean. We hide behind emails. We have difficult conversations behind an email as opposed to person to person, which, by the way, when you've got to have those difficult conversations, don't fire someone. Don't scold someone. Tell them that they've done something wrong through a text or an email. And you would be surprised how often I see that in business. It really is your job. If you are a leader and you are managing a team, uh, it is your job to pick up a phone or walk down the hall and have a conversation with someone that is either live, you know, face to face or on the phone. Don't text and email those Um Again, the the bad news. The bad news. Well, I could see if people aren't getting practice doing that in their personal lives, they're not going to have the experience of doing it or the courage, so to speak, to to do it in business. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So we have to, the more that we engage ourselves, and this goes back to the beginning of our conversation, which is when we're waiting for someone in that coffee shop, whether it's for a business meeting or it's uh, a personal meeting with, uh, you know, guys after a football game or girlfriends or whatever it is. Um, don't take the devices out. Spend some time with yourself. Have a conversation with someone at the next table. Uh, steep in your own thoughts. You know, as I say, steep in the silence of your thoughts and what it is that is important to you and thinking about that as opposed to consistently looking at the phone because we are finding it is making eye contact more difficult to engage in. And that really is the first part of connection. And, you know, that's the foundation. If we can't make eye contact, we really can't connect deeply to another human being. I think it's a great time to talk a little bit about your book, Consciously Connecting, which is all about sure. uh, helping people to develop these kinds of capacities and skills within themselves. And we don't have time to talk about it in, in great depth, but I wonder if you could tell people a little bit about uh, the motivation behind the book, uh, what it's about, and what people would get a, get out of it by reading it. Sure. Well, very quickly, I was uh, conducting, uh, facilitating a lot of workshops and seminars. And what was happening is when we'd go into q a i was really hearing that people were disconnected no one was using that word but my brain kept categorizing it as oh my gosh people are very disconnected from themselves their lives their goals uh and i then kind of started again steeping on that in the silence and thinking about how was it that we were so disconnected and then of course really realizing what was happening to our brains, how our brains have really changed with the overusage of uh, too much tech uh, and what was happening again to our skills, not only connecting to ourselves and the ability to do that, but the ability to connect successfully to others. And from there, I got the idea to write the book, Consciously Connecting, 
So it is a simple process to reconnect in this disconnected world. Uh, each month uh, has its own um, uh, title where it's got its own way that you connect. So uh, in October, it's really about living your truth and what that means. And November is about a mindset of Thanksgiving and June is about how do you play and what does that look like as an adult? So, so there's a theme, mm -hmm. if you will, for each month. And then within that month, it breaks down to four weekly exercises. And when I say weekly exercises, for those, those of you that are already thinking, oh, I don't need one more thing to do. <laughs> what you don't do, what is unique about this book for uh, allowing you to find that place of connection within yourself is that you don't, this isn't about making lists. It's not about having more to do each week. This is about reading anywhere from one to two and a half pages a week. And then you put the book away until next week. And this is about living connection at a deeper level. So there may be a week where uh, those who serve you uh, meaning when you pick up your prescription, when you stand at the deli counter, when you get on a bus, all of those are people who are in essence serving us that you make eye contact and you engage with those people and you practice again, old school, but you practice saying, hello, how are you? Are you having a good day? You put the devices down and you make human to human contact. And for, for those seven days, that is what you do to not only deepen your connection with those around you in the world, but it also deepens the connection that you have to yourself. Mm, I really like it. Very simple. Uh, as you said, it doesn't take a lot of time to read, spread out over the year. And what I really appreciate about it is the variety. There's a really wide variety uh, Thank you. Of, of suggestions and exercises, both uh, just appreciate it personally to engage in that variety of explorations, but also because I can imagine different things will hit different people. Yes. And, and the idea is that, you know, some people are really connected to their goals. And, you know, we talk about that in September and, and, and others stay with another month and do it two months in a row. But the idea is that, you know, we all can spruce up, if you will, whether we need to connect more to our personal boundaries, our creativity, our productivity, our goals, our family time. And so each of these chapters really allows you to dig in and make those deeper connections. And again, the deeper you connect to yourself, you will connect with others at a deeper level. And isn't that what we all need at this point in, in the world? Mm. So true. I think it's a perfect conclusion to end on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Holland Hayes an expert on connecting in the digital age and the author of Consciously Connecting, a simple process to reconnect in a disconnected world. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and share the episode with your friends. Those and all other links are in the show notes. And check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. 
I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with former Apple and Microsoft executive Linda Stone, when we'll talk about continuous partial attention and the essential self.